You're listening to the Team Time Podcast with First Student Ministries, the show that brings you engaging and relevant discussion on scripture, culture, and the stories of others. With your hosts, Josh, Cameron, and KJ. Hey, KJ. What's up, Cam? Not much. It's just us today. We're finishing up the churches to the Revelations, or no, the church churches in Revelation. There you go. I got my tenses and my, no, my subjects. Is that what have been off? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's a tongue twister. <laughs> the whole series is a tongue Grammar twister. <laughs> sometimes. Um, so we find ourselves in Revelation, and for our listeners who have been following along, you might be a little confused because we are going from Sardis last week to Laodicea this week, but and it may seem like we're skipping Philadelphia, but we did that one first because we were coming right off of Spring Retreat, and we had talked about the church, and Philadelphia is the church that... The Lord doesn't give any, um, he finds no fault with the church in Philadelphia. So we talked about that one first. So we find ourselves in chapter 3 of Revelation in verses 14 through 22. But first, it's not really an on-the-spot moment. It's just a fun fact for our listeners. Um, Do you prefer your coffee hot or cold? And, like, what are the factors that go into making that decision? Because I know you've got some. And, like, if one way or the other, how do you take it? Okay. I... Okay, so it depend. It depends. Right. It depends. <laughs> we'll start there. It depends. So currently, I'm drinking a cold coffee. Okay. So mornings after I run, uh-huh. I prefer a cold coffee. Okay. But if I'm waking up and I haven't worked out in the morning, then I prefer a hot coffee. Okay. But regardless, I always prefer hot coffee in the morning if I'm going to have a hot coffee, and then cold coffee in the yeah. evening. So Indeed. iced. Okay. Yeah. And it always has to have some sort of cream and sugar, right? Not sugar, just cream? Just cream. Okay. I'm particular about the creamer. Right. Yeah. Chobani. Chobani creamer. Y'all, it's great. I'm just going to go ahead and make a plug for (laughs) Chobani creamer. (laughs) It stays filled in our fridge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. What about you? Um, If it's going, I I drink black coffee. Uh So that's my standard go-to. If I need something like... If I need to pick me up, then I will go with like a red eye, so mm-hmm. espresso in coffee, still still black. Um, but if I'm going to do like an, if I decide, I, sometimes I'll get an inkling for an iced something. That's normally like a fancy drink or yeah. like a special, like a whatever. Um, but yeah, normally, typically, I just prefer either like regular energy or extra energy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I but, like that. Yeah, just like simple black plan. Okay, so I wanted to talk about that. I think that's fun for our listeners to hear because we're going to get into this discussion with Laodicea. And they are what I think generally most what our listeners, if they're familiar with the churches at all, if we're familiar with this at all, I think the thing that we would associate with Laodicea is lukewarmness. That's Mm -hmm. how you hear this church described all the time. That's really where um, the most of the conversation centers are, but rightly so because that's what Jesus calls them and that's what we see. So... We'll get into that in a minute, but just a little bit of context. Um, the church at, of the Laodiceans, La, Laodiceans, it's hard, it's hard to say. I know, I know, you're doing great. It's interesting, though, and in my translation, um, it doesn't do it, but in a few other of the, of the translations, it does. This is um, the only church where it's addressed to 
like it's plural. All the other churches, when Je- in some of the translations, when in the original Greek, when Jesus addresses like write to the church at Ephesus or write to the church at well, it's uh, Pergamum or Sardis or whatever. <laughs> it's never plural. And with this one, in some of them, he it's like he's addressing uh, the individuals of this church more so than some of the others. Huh. So a lot of commentators have some interesting thoughts. It could be because there are some who are remaining faithful here. It could be because this letter is going, like, so there would be a distinction between some of them. It could be because we see, and, and geographically, Laodicea is only about 10 miles from Colossae, so the church of Colossians, what uh-huh. the book was written to. So we also see in Colossians that this letter is referenced two times, hmm. that the church there would read this letter too. So it, there's a lot of reasons why this could be like distinguished as like a plural, that he's writing to the plural of this church rather than the um just the but i thought it was an interesting because he i mean it's kind yeah. of mean something and there's right. got to be a point to it and so as we as we mine in there um i just wonder you know but commentators are split and they say all different sorts of things but it's a fun little fact about yeah it. i didn't know that yeah and, it, and it's not in my bible so when i started reading about it i was like well that's weird but mm-hmm. almost every commentary that i read and all the notes made a mention of it so i thought it was worth bringing out yeah this is um so the church, a lot of the like a lot of the churches that we've talked about, it's a commercial center. It's a church that um, exported goods all over the world. So they were known for mainly like their financial wealth um, and the worship of Caesar, the mm-hmm. em, um, emperor at the time. And then this, they were also known for this like healing eye salve that they make mm. in Laodicea that they would export all around the the world at the time. So. It's interesting right. that they're known for this eye salve because it, here, here we go. Let's yeah. jump in and read it, yeah. and then and then it'll make it a little bit. Um, maybe some of those things will come true. So, all right. So I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, um, and I'm in Revelation three verse fourteen, and I'll go through twenty two. So it says, "Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea." Thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your faithful and true witness. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and and discipline. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Hmm. Oh, man. So at first, um, you know, at first we see 
we'll get back to the eye salve. We'll yeah. get back to, to all that. But at first we see what, just like we have with every other, um, uh, kind of like a marker or a characteristic of Jesus. So we know that when it says, write to the angel of the church and says, just thus says the amen, the faithful and true witness, and the originator of God's creation is referring to Jesus in those ways. So I love the amen. Yeah. What do you think of when you hear the amen? I think the first thing that comes to mind is prayer. Yeah. So how, how we conclude prayers. Yeah. Uh, yeah as we say, amen. Um, and then, yeah, the word amen being essentially like kind of expression of agreement, right. right? Like, so like we, like we agree. Yeah. Um, it's like when someone, or like growing up at the church I, I went to, um, where the preaching was very common mm-hmm. for those in the congregation to shout amen. Yeah. Like as the pastor was preaching. And so, yeah, it's kind of like this expression of agreement with like the words that are being spoken with like the truth that's being uh, right. told there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the word like or like let it be done, right? Right. Yeah. It is done. So be it. Yeah. Let it be done in agreement. Yeah. Like, with those things, and then um, it also makes me think of it's just so so cool how the Bible uses these things. So it says that Jesus describes Jesus as the Amen in this passage. And we think if we have all those references, we know, like, we, we kind of get, like, a contextual sense anyway. Just if anybody, if you're talking and someone says, like, yeah, amen, you know that they're, like, agreeing with mm-hmm. you, right? Like, it's a contextual thing. But there's a, a deeper meaning, too, in that in Second Corinthians mm-hmm. chapter 1, verse 20, it says that, For all the promises of God in him, Jesus, are yes, and in him, amen. So Jesus is like, this is getting at that Jesus is like the personification and he is like the affirmation, the agreement of all the truth that God has ever promised, that yeah. he's ever like brought forth. So so even just um, what I hope our listeners hear out of that and see is, you know, we honestly in the study, we've got, we've got seven, eight more verses to go, seven more verses to go, but you can stop there and mine such rich wisdom out of, well, what does it mean for Jesus to be the amen, the mm-hmm. agreement, the yeah. let it be, the um, fulfillment and personification, or personification. So that was an interesting one that I, that I talked through. We, the next one we know, like he, he's the faithful and true witness. We've talked mm-hmm. about that quite a bit in Jesus being faithful and true to us. And, and it's a contrast to the Laodiceans that he's talking to. Because we're going to see, and we did see when we were reading, that they're lukewarm. They're not faithful and true. They're trying to, like, walk the line. Mm-hmm. So Jesus being the faithful and true witness here is like a contrast to the people that he's talking to. Right. And then it says that he is the originator of God's creation. And I, I like this version. Some versions will say the beginning of God's creation, but... It's not. It's help. It's more helpful to think of that word "beginning" or "originator" as, yeah, beginning as originator. Not yeah. Not him being the first thing created. Right. That's not the thing. Um. But him being there at the beginning. Yes. Part of the origin of creation, and this can be true. We know this to be true because we believe in the Trinity. So God as three people, which. All of this is way outside the scope of the <laughs> conversation that we have for today. But that just like get that's the reason why we can understand it that way and we can get that. But there's also lots of resources if our readers would like to go or listeners would like to go deeper in mm-hmm. understanding. That's a whole doctrine in and of itself is Absolutely. The so anything that you think of with those three 
those three uh, qualifiers of the Lord? Yeah, I think it's really helpful that you bring out yeah, him being the originator mm -hmm. of God's creation because my translation does say the beginning of God's mm -hmm. creation. Yeah. And so without some deeper awareness of scripture, even looking at different translations or seeing kind of what's going on there. I can see how that could be confusing, right. but it also, it's so it kind of echoes the language of John one right. right in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. So there, there's that, that understanding like is there. So I think, I think it's just helpful for our listeners. Like yeah. when you see something, when you read something at first glance in scripture that maybe seems like, Oh wait, that doesn't quite sound right. Or maybe I'm, I'm struggling um, to wrap my mind around that. Like, you know, always like go look, consider what that passage is saying in light of the rest of yeah, scripture absolutely. and see what the rest of scripture has to say. I think just a, a helpful yeah. tip for just understanding yes, God's word. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a sign and a mark of um, maturity, right? Like as we mature in our understanding of God and understanding of God's word, we want to dive deeper. We want to dig in and understand things that don't don't make a lot of sense maybe at like you said first glance yeah it's a great point okay so he goes on and he says i know your works so jesus is saying to this church i know your works that you are neither cold nor hot i wish that you were cold or hot so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold i am going to vomit you out of my mouth okay so for a bit of context mm -hmm. before we dive into like what this breaks down for the church of um, Laodicea, okay, it was six miles from the best water source around. Mm -hmm. And that source of water was a hot spring. So they had built, which was seriously advanced for the time. So another sign of their economic wealth and of their um, really like their innovation and just like that this city was really self-sufficient. They're there had also been, this is like a side note, but there had also been an earthquake at one point and the city just straight refused any help to rebuild and did it themselves and like accomplished it and came back stronger and better. So this is a very, this city thinks that they are like the jam. Like yeah. they think that they have got it all together. So they have recognized that they are at a disadvantage with their water source. The best hot spring for like, drinkable safe water is six miles away they have built this aqueduct that um channels water mm -hmm. in okay so because it's from coming from a hot spring it's when it arrives six miles later it ain't hot <laughs> it's not hot <laughs> right but it's also not cold uh -huh. so when g like when this illustration or when he employs this language of you are neither hot nor cold they would have immediately known because they drink lukewarm water all day every day mm -hmm. so like this would have resonated so deeply with the people they're not they're not wondering why jesus is using this language the mm -hmm. way we might wonder like what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, if I want, I go to the, I go to the ice machine and I get ice. Like, if, yeah. if I, you know, that's not the way that this city was set up. So they were very familiar with lukewarmness and uh -huh. that they consumed it every day. But here, it can be a little bit confusing when we think of okay, so hot or cold. Uh, at first glance, I think with our relationship with the Lord, we would think hot being. Um, the flame of faith being ablaze in our life, mm -hmm. on fire for the Lord. Yeah. That's a phrase that we hear quite a bit, right? Yeah. A Christianese phrase, uh -huh. right? A phrase. Um, but then also we can think of cold and we think of um, 
hard-hearted towards the Lord, or we think of coldness in the sense of like stone cold. Yeah. Like, um, but then it's confusing because Jesus says, I wish that you were cold or hot. So what, KJ, let's talk about like, what do you think of? How do you like think through this passage yes, at I- first glance? Yeah, so I remember being in Sunday school as a high schooler and going through this passage and thinking about it in exactly that way. Like thinking that when he's talking about cold or hot, that's really more this idea of how do I feel about God in a sense of like, am I like, yeah, on fire ablaze for him? (laughs) Or is he saying like, hey, if you're not going to be on fire ablaze for me, I'd rather you just be like cold and distant and not care at all. Instead of and I and then I thought lukewarm was like yeah just trying to toe this line like I got one foot in and one foot out, and then it wasn't until later upon like deeper study the passage and looking at it where I was again like oh wait a minute he's saying he wishes we were either hot or cold <laughs> like it really like being lukewarm like is the issue but there's this sense that like cold is also good right right so it's not it's not this like I think sometimes we read like a negative or positive into the hot or cold but right. really yeah it's more so getting at this idea which. I'm sure you're probably going to yeah, talk yeah. about a little bit of more like usefulness because right. hot water is useful, cold water is useful, especially in this time time period. Um, what's not useful is lukewarm, exactly. lukewarm water. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So right. So you, I think that you know, as if you're coming to this passage for the first time, like yes, it can be helpful to wrestle with: Am I lukewarm in the sense of like what you're talking about? Am I trying to toe a line? Am I trying to be in the middle ground? Like, am I trying to have just enough of Jesus to get into heaven, but also enough of the world to where I don't get made fun of? Like, mm-hmm. it can be helpful to think through the lukewarmness, but a much better, deeper richer understanding is exactly what you're getting at this idea of cold water can be useful for think about things like um okay so they maybe would not have been super familiar with the concept of ice because water didn't freeze like in this region right? right like but cold water could have been used for refreshment cold water would have been used for um soaking like uh to get rid of like inflammation like cold water had a lot of other uses right and then hot water can cleanse hot water can um remove impurities like hot water can boil hot water can cook hot you know things Mm -hmm. like that so yeah so usefulness is probably a better picture you're getting at but but there is this idea that um okay so a one commentary that i read had this helpful like it's three different people in the bible who maybe we've seen at different points of like hot or cold or lukewarm but the condition of the heart does matter so yes it's not a matter of we can just totally discount the condition of our heart and say like that's not at all what this passage is talking about but we kind of have to hold both and say like our heart it does it is better if our heart is on fire for the lord yes (laughs) but we can think about these things together, not just right. separate. So you, yeah, so maybe we would just say it's helpful. So when we read this passage to say like, this passage has a certain idea kind of in view yes. of what it's getting at, right? But that doesn't mean we leave out the other things we know to be true exactly. about, yeah, our relationship with the Lord and kind of what what is good in that right. as well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, so if you will think back with me to the story when Jesus is on the cross Mm -hmm. and there's a thief, we're told he's a thief, that he's hanging next to Jesus on the cross. He was cold towards Jesus. We could say that, that Mm -hmm. he had, he, his heart was not 
Uh, he was not a believer, yeah. right? He was cold toward Jesus. But he was cold in the sense that he clearly saw his need. Mm. Like his heart was receptive to needing salvation because he was cold, yeah. right? So he sensed the need and he responded to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, to surely today you will be with me in paradise, right? Right. This is also a similar idea to where when Jesus was preaching and in his ministry, the people who were receptive to his message were what we would describe as cold. Like they were the tax collectors. They were the harlots. They were the sinners. They were the deeply disturbed. They were the they were the people who weren't believers. They weren't they weren't what we would describe as hot. Mm-hmm. But they were cold and they saw their need for the Lord. So in that sense, Jesus is saying, I wish you were that way, that you yeah. would clearly see your need you mm-hmm. know, for me. But then if we'll think about um, John, like John the Apostle, yeah, he is an epitome of what you would describe as on fire, hot. In for like, and he enjoyed that relationship with the Lord because of it, a relationship marked by love. I mean, it's a little egotistical that John continuously referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved, but we get, <laughs> like, like they had a great relationship. Yeah. So John was on the same set. But then if we think about Judas, mm. Judas was what we would think about as lukewarm. Yeah. Because he, yeah, it, and this is what the commentator said, it's that Jesus, um, or Judas, was following Jesus enough to be considered a disciple yet he was not giving his heart over to Jesus in fullness. And so in that way, it is helpful to think about cold, hot, lukewarm. Yeah. Right? But then then we do have to think about this idea of like the uselessness that comes along with lukewarmness. Yeah. And like I already mentioned, hot water heals, cold water refreshes, but like luke water, lukewarm water is not is not purposeful it doesn't do anything for us and so lukewarm christianity has like enough of jesus to satisfy a craving for religion Mm -hmm. but it's not enough for an eternal life that's thriving yeah right that's full of it's not enough for that disciple life with jesus yeah so i wonder how many of our listeners would find themselves there you know Um, right i've certainly been there at times in my life where you know, I want to, um, I think we see this fleshed out and I'll, I'll give my example and then I want to hear maybe where you have heard this come out in yeah. students' lives or whatnot. But I hear this example or, or something um, that could illustrate maybe that this is a problem, like lukewarmness mm-hmm. in the, the, dating, uh, the dating conversations that happen where we mm. talk about boundaries and it's like, well, how far is too far? Yeah. Well, that's the wrong question, <laughs> like right. because that what that gets at is the idea, or or even in sin, like how how long can I be at a party before it's considered a bad witness, or how much can I um, participate without actually being in sin, mm-hmm. or I- any of those things where yeah. we're trying to we're trying to do the bare minimum to be considered faithful, and the the like get as close to the line of sin as we can. Mm-hmm. I think that's walking the middle. Like, I think that's being lukewarm. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I would agree. And, yeah, I think just to add to that, because I think we, yeah, we miss on When we're doing that, we're, the focus is still on ourselves, yeah. right? It's still like, what can I get out of this? What do I want? As opposed to thinking, right, seeing that 
all kind of all of those scenarios, whether it's dating, whether it's just kind of like how we engage other people, culture yeah. as well, no, 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 how does God want to use me? So I love in Second yes. Corinthians this idea that God is making his appeal to the world through us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. So then if I understand that, like I have to see kind of all of those things as what is going to be best for like God's name yes. being made great yes. um, and all of these. And yeah, in conversations I've had with students in that regard. And, that, and that's something I have to work through um, myself too. Yeah. It's like, it's a, it's a huge mindset shift yes. um, to, to rethink uh, the way we um, will approach all of those things. Yeah, and I think also like students tend to want to compart and conversations want to compartmentalize. So like the lives, right, they live at school yeah. or on their sports team or even how they engage all those things right because i think there's this idea that i want to do well um i want to perform well academically um on my sports team like in my extracurricular which is like yes absolutely but amen amen. (laughs) yeah absolutely um but i think what ends up happening is that at the root like the motivation um at the heart level ends up being again like for me because it ends up being like there's a lot of identity wrapped up in those things and and like performance and how I do. And so what ends up happening is like that because that's where I'm placing my my identity, it is what's ruling my heart and driving everything I do and it's the thing that's making demands of me. So I end up sacrificing right the things God is actually calling me to do um for the sake of those things whereas really God wants me to see Yes, to do well, but ultimately for his glory, right. um, to work well and heartily unto him, but not to the neglect of right loving other people, um, sacrificing for the sake of others, not to the neglect of like listening to him yeah. um, in those spaces. Yeah, so I think just conversations I've had with students where it's, you know, considering, hey, what might seem like an inconvenience to you <laughs> in the midst of being at school on the sports team, uh, interacting with other people might be the Lord presenting an opportunity. Yes. Um, for for you to come along and walk alongside someone or point someone to Jesus, yeah, yeah. but it may it may it may cost you something yeah. <laughs> in the it may, it, it may be inconvenient. Yeah, it it will cost it you will something. Be. I was gonna say it will it cost will you be. something. There you go. Spoiler <laughs> yeah. alert. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a great point. I yeah, I think that's absolutely spot on and exactly what I was what I was thinking about there. And so before we move on to the vomit you out of my mouth portion yeah. uh, that Jesus <laughs> talks about, I do want to make a distinction because um, sometimes I think that we hear this language of like being hot or cold or lukewarm, and we relate it to a, a feeling, like how we are feeling about the Lord. Mm-hmm. And um, I just want to submit to. And, and it's honestly something that I was having to wrestle through when I was preparing, like when I was thinking through this, because I, I've spent a lot of time in this passage in my in my life. Like I, I in the last like 10 years, I would say, spent a lot of time thinking about this church because, you know, there's a way in which like they're blind to their spiritual condition and they think they're so great and they're not. So like what so what were they feeling about their faith? Is, is what is a question that I wonder and mm. and I wonder like okay were they feeling like they were on fire for God I'm using quotation marks were they feeling cold like probably not they probably didn't realize that they were lukewarm right and so that is a good reminder for us that we our feelings are not a good determinant of where we are with the Lord we we have some basic disciplines and some practices that we can go through 
kind of uses like a plumb line, if you will, like a foundation and anchor mm-hmm. so that we know where we're at. So, right. uh, for example, we someone can be hot for the, like in the sense of their faith is on fire for the Lord and not feel that way, but they are still waking up being faithful. They are still seeking God's word. They are still looking for opportunities to minister to and bless others. They are still turning conversations to spiritual things yeah. and pointing towards eternal purposes. Like, And they're not letting their feelings dictate their faithfulness. Right. And so that's that we have some things that we can measure if we're still doing them um, to know. And then there's a way in which you can be cold towards the Lord um, or lukewarm, like cold or lukewarm, and still feel like you're doing okay. So I guess that's all just a reminder that feelings are not determinant of where your faith is. And so, like, I don't wake up every day feeling super close to the Lord. That's not... But I do try to, even when I'm not, and as I've grown older, this has gotten easier because you learn your triggers, you know those sorts of things. But I just really want to encourage our listeners to, even when you're not feeling super connected, well, are you spending time in the Word? Are you serving? Are you blessing? Are you having spiritual conversations? For some of our listeners, I think the answer might be yes. And then you can say, well, I'm still being faithful, like even yeah. though my feelings aren't. And then for some of our listeners, the answer is no. And that probably needs to change. But like, right. so I just, I just didn't want to move past those um, really like emotion triggering words or emotion filled words without addressing that like feelings are not the determinant of yeah. where you're at in, in this, what would you call it? litmus test of, there you <laughs> of, go. I like your, it. of your faith. Yeah, it's a great distinction. Okay, so the next little phrase that we get to is, um, I'll just give context in verse 16. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. And so if you are reading that and listening, you would think, uh, well, I wasn't in your mouth. Like, how, why? Why, what? Like, in what ways are the churches in the mouth of Jesus? And it's, I mean, it's actually really... Um, you know, there's two ways really that are that are really jump out. So one is churches are in Jesus' mouth because we spread his word. Mm. So you were saying like we represent Jesus to the world. So yeah. we are his ambassadors, we are his mouthpiece, we are uh we are his tool that he uses to speak his word to the world. Um and then we see throughout other places in in scripture and you know, it's a really encouraging fact that we are in his mouth we are in his mind like he we are on his tongue because he prays for us constantly Mm. and because he intercedes to god the father on our behalf yeah so in a very real sense yes we are in his mouth uh at the risk of being vomited out like which is not where we want to be like we don't want to be expelled from the mouth of jesus so then, okay, so that is what's going on. Like that sets the scene for who Jesus is to to the to this church, what he sees of their works, that he sees their heart uh, better than they see it. And then we get to what he has like against the church, like what it, the specifics of what's going on. And so mm-hmm. it says, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do and do not know you are wretched miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And 
this would have just been so foreign to the people. Like yeah. this would have taken such a paradigm shift because they're like not poor financially. Mm-hmm. They are not sick. They have medical advances. They are um, not naked because they have the money to buy these like extra, probably extravagant clothing and things like that. Um, they they really are able to say, I have need of nothing. This is this is such a uh, just a, such a humbling reminder to all of us as well because yeah. we really we look around and and you have to make the distinction between wants and needs because like we look around and there are very few of us in our like everyday lives that we come in contact with that are that really need things that aren't provided right and so you know we're we're all in danger of getting to a place like this and so. They, the church at Laodicea, they lacked an understanding or a sense of their spiritual poverty. They, they looked at their spiritual condition and said, oh, we're rich. They looked at their like wealth and said that they're wealthy. They looked and said that they have need of nothing. And so that just is so opposite of where the posture that Jesus wants his people to be, you know, Mm -hmm. in Matthew, blessed are the poor in spirit. Right. Um, so they, they put their trust in the material, material prosperity, uh, physical health, luxury, all these things. And, you know, Christ was not, they, they may have been, um, they may have been doing the things outwardly, but Christ was not at the center of their need in their heart. Mm. And so, you know, I think that's just something that like, ah, it's just a really, a really, well, I don't know. I mean, what do you, like, I just keep thinking about how, like, yes, we all find ourselves there. Yeah. We all find ourselves there. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it strikes me too. And it's, it is very convicting because mm-hmm. I mean, I really find myself having to, to pray daily mm-hmm. against, yeah, slipping into that. I think you're right. We all can slip into that. Um, especially because, yeah, like here in America and the West where, it's like, yeah, we're not kind of constantly, or at least like I'm not right. constantly faced with like, yeah, I, like all my needs are provided. Like the things that are actually needs, I don't have to question where they're coming from yeah. day to day. And so it can be so easy to, yeah, just kind of slip into this. Um, I mean, it is like a lullaby kind of yes. just this, yeah. this rocking of going through the motion because yeah, I'm not, I like, I have to daily ask the Lord to remind me mm-hmm. of my of my need for yeah. Christ, my desperate need mm-hmm. for Christ, of the fact that, yeah, like I, you can you can look the part, you can have the stuff, you can have the car, you can have the clothes, like you know, all these things, and still be yeah. like terribly sick and poor, right? If you're not, if I'm not daily finding myself in like submission yeah. to God, if I'm not daily relying on Him, because I think that's the danger for me is I can even. Yeah, even like the posture with which I go to the work and start to change where it's like, I'm do- yeah, I'm doing it, but am I doing it with the awareness that, no, 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 I need to learn and I need, I need this word like to actually like guide and direct me. Like I need Jesus to lead me today. Right, right. Um, or am I just doing it to check the box right. and say I did or, it? Or have something to tell people later. Have something later. to tell yeah, people later, yeah, right. That's, yeah, that's exactly, exactly it. So. Yeah, and there's obviously a lot, a lot to dive into there, and we've still got half the passage to go. So uh, I'll sum that up by saying that here in this, what we see is Jesus telling them their condition of their heart. So what Jesus saw in them 
was much more important than how they saw themselves. Yeah. So for us, that is the takeaway is that if we um, are not, well, first, if we're not consistently and constantly submitting ourselves to the Lord and asking him to reveal our condition, um, we're probably unaware of the condition. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the only one who really knows our true self, knows us better than we know ourselves. And then if we are looking with our own set of rules and with our own set, like rubric of uh-huh. things, um, it doesn't, it really doesn't matter how we see ourselves if the Lord finds unfaithfulness in us. So how Jesus sees us is way of way more value than how we see ourselves. Yeah, so that's a great point. we have to be constantly like asking about that. And then he goes into what he wants them to do. So he has called them, or he said, and you can really, the more you read this passage, you can really hear the compassion in it. Like he, um, you know, he's he's saying some harsh things like you are wretched and pitiful, poor, blind and naked. But right before that, he says you don't realize that you are these things. And so just imagine you're, you're with a friend, you're with a loved one, and you see something in them that they don't see in themselves. I mean, if you have compassion in your heart, it's going to change the way that you communicate hard truths with them when you realize that they don't that they don't see it. Yeah. You know? Like and so I, I just. The more I've read this, I can feel mm. the compassion um, in that. And so he says, Jesus says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may dress, be dressed, and um, oh, and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and anointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. And so, you know, this is this is a change from the way that the Laodiceans would have been thinking because they they had thought as long as they can meet their own needs, then they didn't need to rely on Jesus. So what Jesus says is, no, you have to, like, I don't care all those economic markers that you have, all those things. I don't care that you're known for a literal salve that you put on your eyes. You need to rely on me for those things instead of your ability to do them. And so um, buying from him gold refined by the fire is, uh, we've talked about this previously with bronze, like Mm -hmm. refined by the fire, but buying from God is really not something where it's a transactional thing, like where we have to uh, do something in order to purchase. It's, It's that we can attain that from him because of the price that he paid on the cross, like that he bought, that he bought those, um, that those garments so or that he bought those riches and then the white garments um is interesting because the people in laodicea the merchants specifically they were famous for like this glossy black wool so when jesus says white garments it's like in stark contrast to what they would have been accustomed to mm. being able to buy the black yeah so he's He's saying that I know, like essentially saying, I know you have these beautiful black that the world can clothe you in, but here I am trying to give you white garments that will mark you with like purity and, and my seal, right? Yeah. The Lord's seal. And then the, the salve, I've referenced it kind of time, but they would be familiar with a salve because that's what they exported. Um, but they needed healing for their spiritual sight. Yes. Not their physical sight. Um, and so, yeah, so that was that was him 
like completely contrasting and flipping on its head the, their way of life. But yeah. he was using things that they would be super accustomed to understanding. They just needed to, to pull back the curtain a little bit farther yeah. and flip the switch. Any, any thoughts from that section? Uh, I think that that's really good. Um, and just, yeah, just love, um, yeah, just how I think it shows God's character and how careful and just how, yeah, he knows these people mm-hmm. to communicate in this way. They, yeah. Like in, the, in everything he does, he's intentional. Yeah. And I think this is just a testament to Jesus being the faithful and true yes. witness, even faithful and true in the way he communicates yes. to these people, which is Absolutely. really cool. Yeah, yeah, it is really, it's really incredible. So then he goes on and he says, okay, as many as I love, I rebuke and I discipline. This is hard for us to understand. My dad used to say this to me growing up. Um, I discipline you because I love you. And I didn't, I didn't understand it then. And I'm just now starting to grow to understand it. Like just this idea of like, oh yeah, like if you don't care enough about someone, you leave them to their own devices. Like you leave them to their own path. You have to really really care about somebody to discipline them and then with me to constantly discipline me <laughs> like, uh-huh. like he had to really really care you know like, yeah and the lord that's the same way the lord disciplines those that he loves and this isn't the only place in scripture we see that we absolutely see that all throughout proverbs we see it all throughout the old testament we see it this is a common theme that god comes after his people because he loves them enough and cares about their spiritual condition and then He says um, that, therefore, be zealous and repent. So this word zealous, the Greek word for zealous, it comes from the same word for hot that we saw in verse 16. Mm. So it's interesting because, like, though he detested their lukewarmness and coldness is not, doesn't mean in relationship with him, right? It does mean, like, probably ready to see their condition, probably able to see it. But it gets at this idea that, like, he really would rather than be hot with zeal, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's really where he prefers his people. And, you know, oftentimes, um, I think this is another word that's gotten, like, emotionally hijacked. We think of zealousness as, like, typecast for a certain person, like, a certain personality or a certain type of person or mm. whatnot. Like, I'm just not that passionate is what you'll hear people say. Or I just can't get there, like, energy-wise. I'm yeah. not zealous or whatever, which doesn't resonate with me at all because I can get like, <laughs> immediately. Like, not even just with things of the Lord. Like, I'm just a passionate, like, person. Yeah. But I do recognize that, like, other people don't feel this way all the time. But this would imply what we see here, be zealous and repent, is that this is for all people. Yes. So it's not just a personality. It's not just a certain type of person. Like, and zealousness might look different on different people. You know, mm-hmm. like there may, may be people who are not super outspoken, but are zealous for the Lord in their hearts, you know? So yeah. just as a way of reminder that like, don't let your connotations with a word keep you from thinking that it's a it's a call for all of us. Like right. to be zealous and repent. It's not particular to one type of person. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we've talked about that. These other, and then he says, See, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and him with me. And so this is just a really, really beautiful, it reminds us, or well, what does it remind you of? What passage of scripture do you think of when you see I stand at the door and knock? 
I think of this passage. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, isn't there a Which one do you think of? This whole time I haven't looked it up, I've just been thinking that there's a passage in Matthew that's similar. Like, that if it's, it, maybe Could I'm thinking be. of seek first the kingdom of God. Maybe seek is the word that I... That is like, definitely in Matthew. Yeah, I don't, yeah, so I've, I'm familiar it. with this particular passage, but it's okay. always been where I'm like, that's in Revelation 3 okay. in my mind. Well, there you go. That was a trick question that you <laughs> asked. Thank like, you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so see, I stand at the door and not, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So just repeated that to be like to re- to remind us or to let us see that's just such a like an intimate relationship, yeah. a friendship, a, a loving relationship where he wants to share, break bread yeah. together, should be fe- in fellowship with one another. Like this would have been something that they would have recognized, this context would have recognized as very um, familial. Mm-hmm. Like they, they just would have... It would have been a sign of love, you know, for yeah. them. Like a, a really good, a really good analogy for them. And then that he says that he will come into them. That's like such a, a glorious promise for us. And then we wrap it up like with the same, not the same, but each church has has had like a promise like and so at the end in verses 21 and 22 we see their promise this promise to the church at laodicea and then by um, extension to the the promise of all the new believers right all new testament believers because this is going to go we see we i've referenced colossians we're going to see that the colossians read it that the other churches read like so it this all these things apply to all of us. Like yeah. it's helpful to know the context. It's helpful to put it in context first, but then it can very easily be applied to all New Testament believers as right. well. And so it says, To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So that is just mm. like that's where we want to end up, right? This this reminds me, the conquering reminds me of the other places in scriptures where we're promised like the crown of victory yeah. when we finish the race well. Absolutely. Like, it's not a it's not a crown of like royalty to be like lorded over someone, but it's a crown of like victory and that you've worked, you've finished the race, um, you've conquered, like mm-hmm. this like this verse says. And then let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And so that's really where um that's where we wrap up with these churches. And there's obviously so much more in these things that we could dive into, but I really wanted to leave our listeners with this last reminder of, um, it says, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. So hmm. anyone who has ears to hear can be me, it can be you, it can be our FSM family, it can be anyone who's listening to this. It really... It really can be any person that we encounter, any person on the face of the earth absolutely has the opportunity to respond to God. And so that's helpful. It's encouragement to me to remember that I have the chance to hear and respond, even to the parts that are convicting, even to the parts that are, um, that, you know, prick my pride, like even to those things. But then it's also a humbling reminder for anyone that I kind of, I come in contact with um, I am not the determiner of if that person has the ability to hear and respond to the word of God. Like, yeah. I want to be a mouthpiece and I want to bring the good news. I don't want to be a hindrance to that person going from cold to hot. But I don't want to, um, 
in my mind or judgmentally like limit who I've decided can hear and respond. So yeah, that, and I don't want to be lukewarm. Like, yeah, we don't want to get vomited out. Absolutely. Yeah. No. <laughs> Oh, Man, okay. talk about a, a, an image that right that'll stick with you. I know, I know. Yeah, it is. It is. But it, it was it was really fascinating to even learn a little bit more about the black wool thing. Yeah, it's not a, a piece of context that I knew about the Laodiceans before this. Like um, the aqueduct thing, I was pretty familiar yeah. with, but the yeah the black wool. I was like, and the eye salve. I, I was because I always find that so funny. I'm like, you guys literally have the remedy for what he's telling you. You need the remedy for yeah spiritual versus worldly. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's so funny. So yeah, I learned a lot. Yeah, this is great. great. Good. So any closing thoughts for us? No, mm-hmm. no. I, I love I love the point you you ended with there. That was really good. Mm-hmm. So all right. Well, so we're done with the churches in Revelation. Um, Next week, we're going to bring you a discipleship moment. We haven't done one of those in a few months. Um, And then we'll do a big reveal about our our next series. So we'll catch you next time. Sounds good. See you, Cam. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on Team Time with First Student Ministries. Make sure to visit our website, fbccola.com slash students, and check us out on Instagram at First Student Ministry. If you like this show and have follow-up questions for the team, shoot us a DM or email us at students at fbccola.com. Until next time.